Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. For $3 a month, just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast at CanadaEHX.com by clicking donate. Every dollar you give helps keep the podcast going. You can also subscribe to my other podcasts, From John to Justin, where I look at every Prime Minister in Canadian history, and Pucks and Cups, where I look at the history of hockey in Canada from about the 1800s all the way up to the 1960s. Today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Jeremy Torrey. He's a director who recently released a film called The Corruption of Divine Providence. It's an interesting story about a 16-year-old girl who goes missing in French Manitoba, who's found later on and appears to have stigmata. It features many well-known actors, including Tantu Cardinal, who was in Dances with Wolves. I talked to Jeremy about the film, making it, the process, how COVID impacted it, and much more. So let's get right to it. Uh, I guess first question, what inspired you into the making of uh, The Corruption of Divine Providence? Well, it goes back like literally 19 years ago. I first, uh, when I first started dating my wife, who is now uh, my producing partner and whatnot, and um, I'm... Ojibwe and she's Métis and uh, you know the courting process goes a certain way when you go to meet the parents and uh, that's always interesting but it was like this big party for like a grandmother or something and so you drive up to the homestead in the middle of the prairies and it's like 50 people around and it's <laughs> chaos and they're like oh you want to have a drink go inside get yourself a beer and you go inside and you look around and it's like, whoa, there's Christ suffering on the cross. And then <laughs> you turn your head and then there's another portrait and then there's a statue. And then, you know, you go into the bathroom and there's a cross over the <laughs> toilet and that kind of thing. And you're just like, whoa, these people are very religious. So um, that was that was a bit of a shock to me. And, um, uh, you know, they're talking French and they're talking English and they're intermixing all the time. This is really kind of interesting. So I thought, you know, what is this all about? And then months go by and I find out that, you know, so-and-so is having an affair and, you know, this person just killed his parents and his uh, brother in order to get the homestead so that he can pay off the bikers for a big cocaine debt. And you're just like, what, what is going on here? So you're like, okay, well, clearly there's a lot of sinning going on. 
And uh, that was the baby, that was the start of it. And then just something in my mind clicked and I was like, okay, well, what would happen if, you know, this 16 year old Métis girl became stigmatic and what would that look like mm -hmm. to her family, to the community, to like even ultimately the, the world, right? Cause it's a pretty substantial event. So uh, that was the beginning of it. And then it went through a number of various drafts with support from telefilm and others. And, and uh, finally we were able to get funding in 2017 from telefilm and boom, um, we were able to go ahead and make it. And, um, you know, I think it turned out pretty well. We, we literally spent a whole year trying to get the VFX working, mm -hmm. um, which was unfortunate for us because obviously we would have liked to have, have it out a little bit earlier, but uh, at the end of the day, right? I mean, we're, we're in Whistler now and we're waiting on festivals mm -hmm. uh, in the States and internationally to, um, you know, give us an invitation and start spreading the the weirdness that is uh, divine providence. Nice. Uh, what was the process to kind of get it made? Uh, you kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, but uh, was it kind mm. of, uh, and it, it relates to a later question I'll ask about COVID, but um, yeah, what was kind mm. of the process to kind of get it all put together? Well, I mean, it's not very typical that your writer director is also a producer and puts together the deals. And so I, I've had a relationship with David Kinds at Hollywood Suite for uh, years. Um, and um, he's been a really strong supporter of uh, Indigenous and BIPOC stuff. And uh, I said, hey, I've got like this really kind of creepy Coen Brothers type of film. What do you think? And he was like, send it over. And was like, yeah, sure. So what that did is that, that allowed us to get a license fee which also allowed us to trigger Canada Media Fund, which um, gives regional money. So that combined with Telefilm and then Manitoba Film and Music here is our uh, film agency. They came in with equity, um, APTN come out and came on board. And then it was like, right, cause you gotta get your finance structure. In order to make a movie, you gotta have like sources of money. So once all the money came in, it was like, okay, so let's, let's go ahead and start casting and getting into pre-production. What's it, you know, for me, because I'm so hands-on, I literally picked every location myself and scouted them and said, okay, right here, this is where this scene's going to go. This is how we're going to block this. And then bringing in the DP on that conversation and all the other crew members and stuff. Uh, and then while all of this is going, we're, we're trying to cast, right? So mm -hmm. that was a whole other process, which um, was actually turned out really great. I mean, I didn't know Elise Levesque, who is our female lead. Um, she um, had worked with Corey Sevier, who I've worked with on a few things um, years ago. And he was like, oh, yeah, she's great. And I uh, was in touch with her manager and said, can she speak French? Yeah, she can speak French. She interrupted and, um, you know, we did the call and, and so on. And then I was like, okay, we got her. And then we ended up getting Ali. And then we got David LaHaye, who is a uh, French um, Canadian out of um, Quebec, who can go in and out of French, you know, fluently. And is actually like a fantastic actor. I didn't realize 
um, you know, the gem that I was getting in having him come along. And he was also very gracious with our Manitoba actors because, and, and the rest of the cast, because our French is definitely different than Quebecois <laughs> French, right? So it was like, it was, it was something to, uh, so he was able to, you know, this is how you would say this as opposed to the way I had written it because, you know, I ended up in uh, taking uh, French immersion here in uh, Winnipeg when, in my youth. I guess uh, the next question is, uh, what was it like working with people like, uh, like Tentu Cardinal? Well, I have known her through the, you know, circuits and stuff for a long, long time, but I never had the opportunity to actually work with her. So um, she uh, is now, she was available. And I think at that time we couldn't, we couldn't say anything, but I, did she get into Westworld? I think she had one or two um, episodes on there or something. It sounds familiar, but then she was so. also doing the, the cop show afterwards in New York, uh, whatever that is, um, where I think ABC um, so like someone like her is like, you know, is, is always super busy, but she was incredibly professional, very gracious. And we actually had her shooting on the very first day and we had this beautiful morning south of Winnipeg in St. Pierre Jolie. And, uh, she was up first and we shot out the first scene with some horses. And then she sits down with, uh, Allie's character in this sort of opening of a barn and the sun is coming down. I just like, it was just so beautiful. It was, it just looked great. And, you know, the performance, obviously, you know what you're getting, she's going to nail it. And, mm -hmm. and that, so being able to work with people who, um, bring something extra to the, to the table. So it's a real collaboration is something that I'm always excited to do because, you know, this is like, it's not like a painting where it's one person and they're doing all the strokes and picking the materials and that kind of thing. Film is totally different, right? You're counting on your heads of departments, you're counting on the actors, all of that. The, the cinematographer who is Eric Kayla out of Montreal, all really good people to sort of come together and, and help paint the picture. Mm -hmm. uh, are you excited for uh, for Whistler? I am. I am. We've now had the. I mean, I usually go every year. I've been going for the last five or six years in various capacities. It's a really good place to do business for our industry because because of their proximity to LA, they're able to bring in some pretty good heavyweights, and um, um, you get access to them. Like it's a very small, intimate festival, but I think culturally it's managed to hit well above its weight uh, as far as uh, the people and the films that they get. I remember, I think it was last year, um, Paul Graton, the film programmer, he got I, Tonya, right? And I was like, mm -hmm. how did you do that? And <laughs> So you get to see some really great films. The other thing he did is he actually brought in, he got a, um, he got a print of the Irishman before it was coming out on Netflix. So, you know, you're able to like see a film like that on a big screen. It's a very different experience, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, 
you know, the, the festival is just, it's such a great, um, great place to go and to meet up and coming filmmakers as well. I mean, that's the thing to me, I always try to say to anybody who has the opportunity, it's like, okay, if you're there as a filmmaker, it's one thing, but also like the actors, think about the access that you're getting. You're literally, um, you know, one of the few that is in front of producers who could potentially get you your next gig, right? So mm -hmm. that's, um, that's another real benefit, I think, is just being able to mix and that kind of thing. I guess the yeah. good thing is I, I, I don't have to be drinking heavily until the early hours of the morning because <laughs> that's another pitfall of uh, doing these festivals is everybody wants to socialize and, and a lot of that stuff happens. I mean, it is, it is a legitimate side of, of, of the business because everything is relationship driven. And, um, you know, you, you, and even as a director, even though I derive a lot of my stuff on my own, it's not to say that someone goes, oh, hey, I saw your film and, and I really enjoyed it. And I'd like to get you on this series or something or look at my feature type of thing. So it is, it is a business, but it's a, it's a privileged business for sure um, to be able to do what we get to do and, and have fun in the play. And I call it getting to play in the sandbox. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. What were some of the challenges with uh, putting together the film that, uh, uh, that you maybe didn't foresee uh, when you were making it? Well, um, there were some, okay, so uh, the main church in the uh, film, I literally had to go because there's this place in um, outside of Winnipeg in Lorette and this church is called the Sistine Chapels of the Prairies. It is gorgeous. The entire ceiling is, is wood painted. It's gorgeous. And um, even though my wife wearing her producer hat said, well, you know, we could shoot in St. Anne and that church is okay. Like, why not shoot there? And I'm like, visually, you can't compare. And then up on the, where they, where, where the priest goes, um, there's like the stained glass that is like facing south. And so you've got this fall sun and it just like shines right through this um, stained glass and it looks gorgeous. And so I really wanted to get that. And um, notwithstanding the reservations of my wife from a budget perspective, because, you know, we were shooting in St. Anne and we'd have to do a unit move to Lorette. We ended up, I, I said, look, I got to go. I have to try and get this. So I literally had to set, uh, meet with the priest and his committee and make a pitch to be able to come in there. We um, wanted to bring in a live snake and uh, we wanted to shoot a gun off. And they were like, okay. you know. <laughs> so we paid them a fee and made a contribution to the, to the church, which actually ended up working out really well because over the winter there, 
I think their furnace went or something. And so they had to replace that. So us being able to make that contribution, uh, help them, right, uh, get through the winter um, with that unforeseen appliance uh, mishap. So that was one that was, you know, a little different. Um, the biggest challenge for us was the visual effects. Um, there's a lot of stuff in there that you don't see that um, is, a, is a small effect that you have to do in order to, you know, have this magic realism that's happening and that kind of stuff. So uh, the salamanders were obviously a huge, huge thing, right? I mean, this was, uh, they were characters that I literally wrote in, in, um, in one of the very early drafts. Um, there's a community where my wife was actually from. This is a fictitious community, by the way, that I wrote about. But in the in the community of St. Leon, they literally have this uh, pond or small lake that has these salamanders. And every 10 or 15 years, they come out. And um, um, they, they come out and just like by the thousands, they come out of the mud and they, they cross the roads and they go throughout the community and then they disappear for a while. So I thought that was really interesting that if you had this, this um, young woman who is a, you know, receives this divine message from God, how would that work if, um, how would that be seen by all the different elements, right? You know, we've got the Dakota community that's nearby. They sense that something's going on. Other people are reacting to this, the, the um, messaging that this, this young woman has been visited by, um, by some sort of uh, divine spirit, however you want to call them. And um, so naturally I thought, well, the salamanders they too have a connection and they are coming sort of like, so she ends up being like the Pied Piper leading these <laughs> salamanders <laughs> through the town and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, it was interesting. And, and our, um, our guy, our visual effects um, artist in Montreal, he got really, really sick because um, uh, rather than do full CGI on these salamanders, he wanted to, he basically used um the same materials like if you were going to do like the the wiggly fishing lures mm -hmm. um he did these molds in his apartment because of covid and um he like got really really sick like literally hospitalized for months mm -hmm. and stuff and it was like oh my god like this is crazy so he eventually recovered and then he um he was able to get back and and finish them but that was you know, that was the biggest challenge was to be able to get the salamander because the sound mix can't happen. The sound design can't be done. Um, the color timing can't be done. All of that stuff until you have all your picture elements in place. Mm -hmm. So um, once that was finally finished, we could move really quickly and then have an answer print get it out to festivals and um and all like that i mean i think even when i submitted to whistler we had um you know you have holes right because mm -hmm. some of the vfx and yeah so they were able to see what we were going to do and so on and there was enough good stuff there that they said yeah come in and we want you in we want you part of the canadian vanguard we want you to compete in the borsos 
prize and all that kind of thing. So that's cool. And and then of course now Elise and Ali are two of the five stars to watch this um, this year at Whistler, which is really great because they're well deserved. I think Ali is going to have a, a really solid career, and Elise already has. I think mm -hmm. she was what was it, Ready or Not? She was uh, most recently in mm -hmm. as a bigger studio film. So. You know, I, it was great to be able to capture all of that in that, you know, finite time of four to five weeks of shooting, right? Like, it, that's yeah. that's the other thing that is really insane. It's like sometimes you literally have to shoot seven or eight pages a day because you only have so much money. It's not like, you know, I've, I've heard of things where, you know, some studio films, they literally shoot one page a day, right? Or in the example of being in uh, Alberta, right? When DiCaprio was there with The Revenant, mm -hmm. you know, they literally <laughs> only waited for golden hour. And it was like, okay, you, you have basically an hour in the mm -hmm. day to shoot. Like, that's incredible. Like, I can't even imagine being able to have that kind of money uh, to, you know, make a film like that. So anyway, I mean, eventually we will get there. We do have bigger, more ambitious projects underway and, and in development. So uh, we'll see, but uh, yeah, this, I mean, every film is, is really interesting. And I remember reading one time, somebody said, no film is ever finished. It's just forgotten <laughs> by the filmmaker <laughs> and that you can keep, you can keep fiddling around with stuff forever and at some point you have to like wash your hands of it and walk away because like right you just keep fidgeting and it wanted <laughs> to make it perfect yeah. absolutely <laughs> i get that yeah. um what do you hope people get out of the film uh, after they watch it well i, I mean i'm um i'm uh i'm a person of faith uh, my traditional faith as an ojibwe person is um is something where I'm a traditional pipe carrier. I have my own pipe, I have uh, my own drum, I do the ceremonies. Um, and one of the things that I, I really, one of the very first things that I read when I was young in my teens was um, Joseph Campbell. And, you know, he basically did these books, you know, Hero of a Thousand Faces, and there was another one, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they basically, he did comparative mythology that um, if you looked at Australia and India and Africa and Europe and North America, and you go to the origin stories of the people in those areas, and you hear what their... Um, teachings are mm. uh, basically they're all the same you know uh, there's there's a there's a flood story here in north america or turtle island as we say right um there are all these parables that are are interconnected even though we've got oceans and continents between us a lot of the stories are very similar and so that's always stuck with me and so when i started to you know, write this, I said, well, what, what do I want to get out of it? And it was this message that if we can set aside our rigid religious differences and just focus on the messages of, of anyone's faith, no matter who you are, um, 
we can have a beautiful place, mm -hmm. right? And we can coexist and, you know, skin color doesn't matter. Uh, your backgrounds don't matter. It's really, and so that's the message that Jeanne, the character has to uh, bring to the congregation and the town and to the world. And ultimately, right, it, it's up to, um, it's up to them to either accept or reject her. So that was what I wanted to really get across, have a takeaway because, you know, like I'm, I'm a little bit older. I remember those days when we would go see movies in, as friends. And after you saw something, we'd all go and get whatever, pizza, whatever, <laughs> and talk mm -hmm. about the movie that we just saw, right? I mean, that's uh, sort of something that's uh, a bit of a bygone era. Right. I mean, people want to consume content so quickly. And now you can literally do it in your in your house on any device anywhere. Um, and, you know, there there's something to that. Right. We want our distractions. But for me, I really wanted to sort of hopefully impact people in a way so that you could think about it for a little bit. Right. I'm not trying to convert anybody. I'm, I'd say, hey, look, you know, there's uh there's something else to this thing we call life and, you know, just think about it. Absolutely. Uh, so you have the, the film, uh, it's going to Whistler. You are going to be looking at other film festivals. So looking into next, next year, I mean, we're only like a few weeks away from it, but uh, looking into 2021, uh, kind of hard to say because of COVID what's going to happen, but what, what's next for you and, and for the film going into next year? Mm. Well, first of all, for the film, um, Vortex Media has the English Canadian rights. So they've um, got a plan to try and take it out theatrically in April and April or May, I think, depending on how COVID is, uh, is recovering. Mm -hmm. And um, then there'll be like the SVOD and AVOD type of windows. And then I assume probably by somewhere around September, uh, it'll be on TV on uh, Hollywood Suite and then, um, you know, go through its windows there. So, you know, that could be much bigger. There could be a bigger splash once we get into some of the other festivals that we've applied to. I think we've got a pretty good shot with um, a number of um, US festivals. I think one of the things that people we find that, and this is probably true for a lot of Canadian films, you have to get your accolades outside of Canada. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, then it's like, oh yeah, oh, there's this great Canadian film and the filmmaker and you got to see it. And so often that's what we sort of build our, our marketing around as independent filmmakers is, oh, hey, we got the laurels for you know, this festival and that festival, and we got a, uh, an award here and there and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that we need to do to separate ourselves. Cause say you're going to, if it ended up on Netflix or iTunes or whatever, like you gotta, right. People are looking at your poster. I've got mm -hmm. a really interesting poster, which I, I like. Um, but if they see that you've got laurels and you've won some awards and stuff, it's like, what's, what's gonna make me want to click and check out your film. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the whole thing, right? I mean, that's uh, that's part of the, part of the process. We are in a in, in the business of entertainment, and um, 
you know, I, I really like the trailer. I think that it's definitely something that people um, will watch and click onto and um, will want to see the film. But, you know, it's a different story once you get in, as you know, like I didn't really, that the way that the opening of the film is, uh, I like it. That's not how I wrote it. And it's certainly not how we shot it. But the, um, the editor out of Montreal flipped it around to like really have this strong opening scene in order to engage the, um, you know, the audience. Because as, mm -hmm. as most people know, you, you've got basically five to 10 minutes to hook your audience. And if they don't like it, they're, they're moving on, right? And with the type of content that we have, you know, we want to be able to... Um, we want to be able to see, have people get through and watch the film to the end. Mm -hmm. As far as what's coming up next, we, I was literally just previously on a call with a um, distributor and financier for this project we have called Shagan, which is an action movie in the jungles of South Africa, which has basically got the Canadian JTF2. I don't know if people know much about them, but they're like our American Delta Forces or the British SAS. They're the ones that are going over all over the world and killing the bad guys and so on. So there are Canadians um, in West Africa who are, um, you know, doing their stuff. And, um, you know, this group comes out of the jungle and um, basically kidnaps them for ransom and they decapitate somebody that's in the group and send this video ransom to say, we want X million dollars or the heads start to roll, more heads roll in 72 hours. So they just like, Get, their, get this group, they go into the jungle. And then while they're in there trying to save the doctors, they, they start seeing something's going on and it becomes more like Predator where mm -hmm. something in the jungle is stalking them and ultimately is killing them off, right? So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's got a really cool twist to it, which uh, I'm, I'm excited about. So we're hopefully going to camera on that in the middle of February and Hopefully we'll be able to announce who our, our stars are very soon because it's been interesting. You know, you go through this whole courting process of, hey, so-and-so's reading it and you sort of think, okay, well, what have they done and could they work? Yeah, they'd work. But then the sales agents come along and go, well, they're not really worth what we think they are or what they what their agents claim they are. So they don't really work for us in, in this whole thing. So. That's uh, that's a bit of the game that people don't get to see, and and a lot of the what ifs of well that somebody could have been in that role, but you know their agent wanted too much money for them or whatever mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah, that's that's it uh, for now. I mean, we're we're also looking at a Once Were Warriors remake um, next summer here in Winnipeg. Um, that's something that I've been working on for a long time and could be a really really cool film. Nice. Busy year. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> and then uh, just the last question is, uh, if people want to learn more about the film, they want to learn more about you, they want to find uh, the film or you on social media, uh, things like that, yeah. website, uh, how can everybody kind of uh, learn everything they need? Well, we're everywhere. We're on, uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, we're on Facebook. I think we have a, uh, a Divine Providence Facebook page. We have an Instagram, uh, Divine Providence, the movie page. I'm on Instagram. So all of that social media is there. Um, 
uh, we're on IMDb and IMDb Pro, which is sort of like the, the entry site for people who want to know, okay, well, who, what was the budget and, you know, what would, who were all the crew and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's very easy to find us and, um, you know, we're really hoping people can check it out. So. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeremy. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. If you want to reach me, you can. Just go to craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. In addition, you can support the podcast like I said. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Phil Maynard, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rois, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can find us on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just search for Bairdo37. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.